Good morning. Um, how many of y'all have heard of the Salvation Army? Like you go into Walmart, they're ringing bells. They have red kettles. You know what they do? Like they are probably the largest charity in America dealing with poverty and homelessness that exists. All poverty, all homelessness. And all they do is stand outside of Walmarts and ring bells and have organizations give to them. But you know what this maniacal organization called the Salvation Army? Like they're so maniacal that if a company gives money to them, they shouldn't be allowed to open new restaurants in like Texas or England because Salvation Army is just such a bad, such a maniacal organization. Why? Because they help poor people. Why? Because they do more to alleviate homelessness than just about any organization in the, the country. Why? Because they identify with the name of Jesus Christ. They are hated even, do they, they, even though they do the most good in that area of any organization you can imagine. They're still hated because they can never do good enough as long as they're associated with the name of Jesus Christ. All right, and so that came into the news a couple of weeks ago. We won't get into any restaurant brands and what they should and shouldn't do and who they should and shouldn't give to. But what it brought to our mind is exactly what this passage talks about is it doesn't matter how much good you will ever do in your life if you're identified and if you do it in the name of Jesus Christ, there will be people that hate you because of it. And you will never be, in a, you will never be able to do enough good to make them like you. There is not enough good Salvation Army can do for people to like them as long as they remain, remain identified with the name of Jesus. Now, Salvation Army isn't known as a bastion of theological uh, conviction. Right. I mean, they're solid, but they're not known as like the bastion of conservative theology. They just go help people. But it's still not good enough because they're identified with the name of Jesus. Jesus talks to us about that in the passage today. He talks to us about walking into a world of hostility and no matter how much good you do and you should do good. No matter what you face, no matter how much opposition, no matter how many people hate you because of it, you should do good. You should do active Jesus displaying good. But you must do that with the understanding that no matter how much good you do, as long as it is identified with the name of Jesus, there will be people that do not like you because of it, that suspect you because of it, that question you because of it, or even to the level of intense hatred because of it. And so what Jesus is talking about in the passage today, bleeding off of the past few weeks is this. You're going to need to abide in my love. You're going to need to experience the fullness of my love because you're going to walk out into a world that doesn't love you anymore. You're going to walk out into a world of hostility and only the experience of my love will be enough to sustain you, to absorb the hatred of the world and return Jesus displaying love in its place. So we're uh, in, in John 15, finishing up 18 through 27. Now, we're deep into the farewell discourse where we've talked about comfort or Jesus has talked about comfort. He's talked to them about the comfort of eternal life, uh, eternal pre, uh, home, uh, eternal room in the presence uh, in the home of the father. He's talked to them about the comfort of, you know, the way because, you know, me. So don't worry about getting lost. He's talked to them about uh, about comfort. He's talked to them about their mission, like you exist to bear fruit. Uh, he's talked to them about his love for them. He's talked to them about what uh, their treasuring love, faith, salvation in him should look like in practical everyday life. 
Right? You should love me. You should abide in my love. If you do that, you'll bear fruit. That's the purpose you exist for. That'll glorify God. That'll be your joy. Right? Your maximum joy and maximum glory of God comes from maximum fruit bearing, which comes from maximum abiding in Jesus. Like he's covered all these. Um, and in the last couple of weeks, he really zeroed in on this, this analogy of fruit. And last week leading into this week, it was focused on love. You are loved. You're loved by me the way the Father loves me. And so what is my love for you like? It could be measured only by the way the Father loves me. That perfectly, that deeply, that substantially. And so you're loved by me perfectly. Abide in the experience of my love. And then extend that love to other people, to other believers. Now, why does that become so important? Because of the text we're going into today. For the first time, the, the opposition, which is part of why the farewell discourse exists, the opposition believers face is first brought up here. So why is the love of Jesus so essential? Why is our practical, tangible love for each other so essential? Because you're going to walk out in a world of hatred. And in order to absorb hate and not hate in return, you're going to have to have a deep experience of the love of Jesus. And in order to absorb the hate of the world, which oftentimes has very practical, detrimental, financial, living type of impacts on people's lives. In order to absorb that, we're going to have to love each other in really practical ways. Now, I know the experience that we have as Americans is not, you know, hate isn't probably the word we would use. That's not generally part of our experience, right? It would be more on the the dislike, the suspicion, the questioning. Uh, It would probably be more of what we would face. But there's parts of the world where, like, if Christians don't help each other, Christians don't survive. Um, I had a I had a missions professor. I'm rambling today. I had a had a vacation week, so y'all can just have to go with me. Will you all go with me wherever I go? All right. So I had a missions professor. And he was uh, smuggled into persecution areas, but he was smuggled into a, a Chinese house church gathering of leaders. And, you know, they were, he was preaching and teaching hours and hours and hours. And uh, so they came to him like, you're American. We have these 10 pastors that just got put in prison. And uh, so, so can you help us? And, and the guy was like, you know, I was praying as I was talking. And, you know, what he sensed God saying to him was, you need to tell them how many of you are there. Right? And there was like, I don't know, a thousand or leaders gathered. You need to tell them, why can't a thousand of you take care of them? And so he did. Like, we've got ten pastors in prison. As an American, you could stroke a check and, like, take care of that. But he's like, no, you're their church. Why aren't you going to take care of it? Right? There are places in the world where very practically, if we don't love each other, it's going to mean the difference between survival or thriving or, or whatever else. And I know that's not your experience. And I know that's not my experience. We're going to try to walk in both worlds, right? The, the world of the, the apostles where it really meant a different thing. But it's also part of our world and part of our experience. And so if we are going to absorb the hate or dislike of the world, then we need to also have had this experience of the love of Jesus. Let's read it. John fifteen eighteen through 27. Uh, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, 
they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Let's pray. So, Father, I pray the reality of this passage, the truth of this passage would seep into our hearts. And it wouldn't be met with fear. It wouldn't be met with withdrawal. It would be met with a fresh desire in our heart to run after Jesus and not care what that means in response to others. Not care what that means and how people think about us. Not care what that means in the way people accept us or reject us. Because we have so deeply abided in the love of Jesus that no other love could compare to it. God, we want that. We pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus' love prepares us for the world's response to him. Jesus' love prepares us for the world's response to him. Um, as we think about that, like, think of how much of your life is governed, how much of what you do and how much of what you say is governed by what we call the fear of man. Like, what are people going to think if I say this? What are people going to think if I do this? What are going to people think if I don't say this? What are people going to think if I don't do this? Right. And so how much of our life is, is governed by what are people going to think about it? And the way that we can be set free from that and the essential way we have to be set free from that, especially in light of a passage like this, is how much of Jesus's love are we really experiencing? Because the only way to break the opinion of others is the person that we care about the most opinion of us is already established and better. Right. That Jesus love and Jesus's opinion and Jesus's approval and the father's love and opinion and approval. They're so settled in our heart and so experienced in our lives that we are not chained any longer to the opinion of others. And so we're free to love others in a way that nobody else is. So Jesus' love prepares us for the world's response. Look at this. Loyalty to Jesus invites hatred and opposition from the world. Loyalty to Jesus invites hatred and opposition from the world. Y'all watch some football yesterday? Y'all bet. Rivalry week, right? Now, I'm sorry, tech fans. It doesn't really earn the name anymore. But it used to be that my dogs versus tech was good old-fashioned hate was the name that was given to it. Not so much lately. What's, I mean, Sorry. No really way around it. There's, there's just we can't avoid the subject, but it's rivalry week. And, and it's like it's enhanced. Like my team winning is awesome, but it is so much better on rivalry. Week. Why? Because my rival lost too. like that's great. And so for us, it's like I root for Georgia and anybody that's playing Florida. Like, and when they beat Florida, like I get half a joy out of that. I'm sorry. Again, coming back. Here we go. It's rivalry week. It's hate week. 
And, you know, hopefully most of what you do in rivalry week with your divided house, if you have it, uh, hopefully what you do is like, you know, just some good banter with some friends and like, it's okay and we move on. But, you know, like, there's brawls and stands sometimes during rivalry week and like on the spilling out in the concourses. People take it really seriously. When you entered the kingdom of Jesus, you became the rival to the world. Because the stated mission of Jesus is to undo the world the way it is and redo the world the way it was supposed to be in the first place. And they don't like it. The world doesn't like it. They will oppose. And they would rather you lose than they win. It's rivalry week. And you now live in a rivalry. The question becomes... Where will your loyalty lie in the middle of this rivalry? Because it's not just a house divided, it's a world divided. But the biggest question of your life and mine, I think, is in the middle of this rivalry, is my heart divided? Is my heart divided between some remnants of affection for the world and a new affection for Jesus to where they both tear at me? And I don't really know where to plant myself firmly. Let's look at it as we jump into the text. Remember the last section that ended. As the Father loved me, I love you. Abide in my love. You will abide in my love by loving other people. By the way, you should witness and you should pray for the souls of the people around you. And I say all this, he ends with, love one another as I've loved you. Why is that important? Why is it important you're part of the family? Why is it important that the love of Jesus is part of your life? Why is it important that you abide in that love? Look at the next, the verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Why is love so essential? Because if you don't experience the love of Jesus in a way that is, it is real and governing in your life, you will not be able to absorb the world's hatred without hating in return, without attacking in return, without fighting in return, without becoming like the world in your response to hatred. And so, just kind of giving an overview, abide in Jesus' love. Why? Because the world hates you. Why does the world hate you? Because it hated me first. And so this is dealing with the world's response to Jesus. And so it becomes that much more important that we live in the love of Jesus, that much more important that we live in really practical, really tangible love for one another. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. From the beginning of the Gospel of John, there has been a collision Between Jesus, the light of the world, and the world that lies in darkness. And so all the way back to chapter 1, verse 4, this uh, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness could not overcome it. So darkness is on a collision course with Jesus as light. Jesus as light is on a collision course with the darkness of the world. And as try as it may, the darkness cannot overcome Jesus. In John chapter 3, it continues, people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Uh, it says in chapter 3, and then he who does what is wicked hates the light. And so there is this darkness that does darkness and that they see Jesus in, and they hate Jesus because they love darkness. They hate Jesus because the light of Jesus exposes the wickedness of their heart. And do you know who he's talking to in John chapter 3? Good religious Jewish people. 
Jesus, the light of the world, is saying, you religious people love your darkness more than you love the light because you want to keep your sin and you want to keep your idols and you want to keep your love of the world without loving the Father. Right? And so it hated me before it hated you uh, because Jesus is light. And they hate it because that light exposes them. John 7, 7, uh, Jesus is talking to his brothers. The world cannot hate you, talking to the brothers, but it hates me. Why? Because I testify that its deeds are evil. So what we're seeing in this passage is a hatred of the world towards Jesus for two reasons. They hate Jesus because of who Jesus is. Jesus is God become flesh and dwelling among us. Jesus is the glory of God seen uh, you know, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Jesus is the glory of God seen. Jesus is the light of the world. And they hate Jesus because Jesus is Jesus. They hate Jesus because Jesus shows them what God is really like. Not the God they made up. Not the God that they can manipulate through their religious exercises. But the God who is who he says he is. The God who defines himself and you don't get to define him for him. The God who sees what he sees and says what he says and means what he says and commands what he commands, who is who he is, that we don't get to change. And that's who Jesus is talking to. They hate Jesus because Jesus is the light. They hate Jesus because Jesus is Jesus. They hate Jesus because Jesus reveals God. So the first reason they hate Jesus is theological. He is who he is. The second reason they hate Jesus, being who he is. Being who he is exposes who they are. And so it's an ethical hatred of Jesus. They hate Jesus because Jesus shines a light over the wickedness of their heart and shines a light over the wickedness of their behaviors and their actions. And so they hate who he is and then they hate that he would testify that their deeds are evil. He hates that he would confront their religious hypocrisy. He hates that he, they, he would confront by his life and by his lips the way they choose to live their lives. If the world hates you, know that it hated me first. It hated me for who I was, who I am. And it hated me because I have shown and testified by my life and witness and by my words. I have exposed the evil of their lives. They hate me for theological reasons. They hate me for ethical reasons. Why is that important? Because it's the same reason that people should and will hate you, dislike you, suspect you, slander you. Pass you over. Whatever it looks like in your context, because the world will hate you because it hated me and it will hate you because of your identification with Jesus. You shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't be surprised if the world doesn't like you. You shouldn't be surprised if the world hates you. You shouldn't be surprised if you face opposition in the world because that's what Jesus faced. And if you can live a life free of opposition and free of dislike, it means one of two things. It means, one, you are so much better than Jesus was that you're able to just fit in better because you're just that much better than Jesus. I'm thinking none of us are taking that route, right? So then there's another reason. Our identification with Jesus isn't close enough to actually press up against the life of anyone else, to push any of the buttons of conviction and I don't mean you're being ugly and because I mean, just like the life of transformation and a life where you are the light of the world because he's the light of the world. Like that you're not you're not bright enough identified with Jesus that actually shines on anything dark around you. Right. If it hates you and it, and it should. We'll clarify that in a minute. Know that it has hated 
me first. You're a traitor. You left your people. You left your nation. You left your tribe. You abandoned them to join the enemy. If you have met Christ, that is. You belong to the world. You love the world. Your goal is to protect the world with its systems and its structures and its ideas and its philosophies. And that's why you exist. And then you dared because the blood of Jesus and the love of Jesus captivated you. You dared to switch sides. You dared to go to work against your family. You dared to go to work against your homeland. You dared to change sides and, and be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness, where darkness is what we support, into the kingdom of the dearly loved Son of God. And you dared to live for that kingdom. You're a traitor. Just don't be a double agent. Just don't be a double agent. Be a traitor. Go all in. You are part of a rebel kingdom with outposts in a world surrounded by the enemy. And it is your job to spread the life and to spread the flourishing and to spread the undoing of the curse by your life as far as your life can possibly touch. If it hated me, it'll hate you. And then look at this. If you're of the world, the world will love you as its own. Why? But because you're not of the world, because I chose you out of the world. See, you belong to the world, but now your belonging to the world has changed and you belong to Jesus instead. You were chosen by Jesus. You were grabbed by Jesus out of darkness into light. You were grabbed by Jesus out of darkness into the kingdom of, of the dearly loved son. Like that's what happened in your life. Right. And so it, it would love you if you're own. It would love you if you belong to it, but you don't belong to it anymore. Your affections have been transferred. Your allegiance has been transferred. The flag that you salute has been changed. And it is now the flag that represents the kingdom of God. It is the flag that represents the king who shed his blood to win you into his kingdom. And so the world would love you as its own, but, but you're not of the world. I chose you out of the world and because you've identified with me, because your allegiance is with me, that's why the world hates you. Don't be surprised. Like, don't be surprised by that. And then look what he does. He quotes um, himself from earlier in the book. Remember the word that I said to you. Chapter 13, verse 16, if you want to mark it down. A servant is not greater than his master. And so in chapter 13, it was to, to command the new level of humility out of their life. Right? If I, the master, would stoop and wash your feet, then it is absurd, uh, absurd to think that you as the servants would clamor for honor among one another. Right? Humility instead. And so here it's a little different. If they persecuted me, then it's absurd to think they won't persecute you. And so persecute means to chase down, to hunt down. It means to harass. It means to oppose. It means to trouble someone. And so if the world has harassed me and persecuted me, it's going to persecute you too. So what did that look like in the life of Jesus? From day one, Jesus was suspected. He was laughed at by people when, his, when he would say things. He was mocked. He was slandered. He's falsely accused. He had a false trial with a bunch of witnesses saying things that were contradictory uh, uh, about Jesus. And, and that's what they used to convict him. He was ultimately beaten and murdered. That's what persecution looks like. And you think about all those different forms. He was persecuted by being laughed at and mocked. And he was persecuted by being beaten and, and murdered on a cross. And so both, like, if you think about the spectrum of what might happen to you, 
And, and it might happen to your brothers and sisters around the world. Like, that's the spectrum. Mocked and laughed at and rejected, beaten and killed. It's a pretty wide spectrum. You are blessed to live in a country that still has, it's post-Christian, but still has, uh, still has the remnants of Christianity woven through a lot of the fabric of it. So there's still a lot of protections involved, a lot of safety that's involved. Most of the world does not have that. Most of the world has lost all either vestiges of Christianity as in Europe or doesn't have it in the first place as the cases of, of North Africa and the Middle East. And the experience of Christians in these different areas is very different. But the word speaks to you where you are. Right? I can't, I can't, in some senses, like I have to look at myself in perspective. Like, Chris, you kind of need to get over it. You're not sitting in prison somewhere for preaching the gospel. Right. They actually pay you to do it and, and you're able to afford a, a house and a car and some things like that. So in some senses, you too, you kind of like have to get over some things. And like you can't be a martyr about everything, especially with the perspective uh, of what Christianity faces in the world. But you also have to look at this is the experience Jesus gave you. And will you walk into it faithfully? So will you walk into slander faithfully without without turning back? Will you walk into being laughed at or mocked because of your beliefs faithfully without responding in kind? Will you be a faithful steward of where God puts you and the kind of opposition that that brings into your life? Right. And so if they persecuted me, mocked and laughed at me, beat and killed me. You're crazy if you think they won't do it to you. You're crazy if you think they won't persecute you as well. And so it gives me two cautions I want to share with you as I was thinking about this. There's two cautions that I, that I want to kind of give up. First caution is this. Don't look for or invite persecution. Right. Because there's some people that they they rant and it's like they're fighting the good fight of whatever cause of the day is. And they're obnoxious and they're abrasive and people just don't like them. But they have the martyr complex. It's just because of my Christian faith. No, it's because you're a jerk. Right. It's because you're obnoxious and abrasive and have no graciousness or humility about your life. That's why they hate you. The passage isn't talking about that. I'm sorry, children's church isn't into that. Kids never use that word. Like, that's a bad word. It's not the worst word, but it's not a good word. Sorry. All right, we'll get there. Sorry. Did I already give the disclaimer? It's after vacation. So caution one is, if your obnoxiousness and abrasiveness and ranting is why people don't like you, that's not persecution. That's a you thing. And you need to fix that because graciousness and humility with boldness is what we're aiming for. And if you have graciousness and humility with conviction, great. And if they hate you for that because of the identification with the name of Jesus, let them hate. Let them dislike. Let them reject. Let them mock. Let them laugh. Great. Just be careful that it's not you. It's Jesus. The second caution, and I think this is probably a little more prevalent. Far too many of us as Christians are worried about the world liking us. And we're worried about the world loving us and we're worried about being relevant to the world. And so in the pursuit of being liked by the and I do believe it's good intentions, right? I mean, I, I, I think it's good intentions like they'll hear us and, and we'll be friends. And if we hear us and they're friends, they'll hear about Jesus. Like, I don't think it's bad intentions. I just think it's wrong. It's just not the right, right path, especially in light of passages like this. And so we think, like, I want the world to like me. I want the world to love me. I want the world to accept me and not reject me, hopefully with good intentions attached. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of kind of take away the parts of Christianity that don't really 
jive with the culture that the culture doesn't like. And I'm going to just kind of I'm going to kind of dilute some of those ethical teachings of Jesus. or I'm going to sidestep some of the things Jesus says. But I don't want to be liked and I want to be relevant. And so we're going to have in my own life, I'm going to just kind of nip and tuck at scriptures and I'm going to compromise here. But I'm going to be liked. I'm going to be relevant. And we just don't talk about that stuff. Or we want to see our churches compromise. We want to see our churches kind of not talk about those things that are hard. And people around us don't like to talk about those things. And so let's avoid those. And we're willing to compromise theologically to be liked by a world that hates our father. And hates our family. So why is it that we think that we can have a world love us that hates dad? Why do you think we can find a world that loves us that hates our brother? Like, how do you feel about people that just would cuss your brother to your face? I imagine you guys aren't going to be friends. How would you feel? It's one of those things like, I can talk about my brother, but you can't. I can talk about my parents, but you better not. Right. That's that's one of those things. And so how many people could come to your face, cuss about your dad and hate your dad? And you'd be like, oh, we're cool, though. We're friends. That's what he's saying. The world hates Jesus. The world hates the father. And so why are you trying so hard for the world to love you? Like the world didn't love Jesus. Jesus did more good on earth than any human being in history. More blind people saw. More people who could not walk, walked. More people who didn't have anything to eat, ate. Than any human being in history. And you know what they did to pay him back for it? They slaughtered him on a cross. And so my cautions would be this. Don't be obnoxious and call it persecution, but don't be so worried about the world loving you. That you abandon loyalty to Jesus and abandon identification with Jesus. Because for the world to love you. You would have to depart from an identification with God for the world to really love you. You would have to leave your identification with Jesus. Because the world hates Jesus and it doesn't matter how much good he did. The world hates the father and it doesn't matter how much grace he's lavished upon us by being patient and not burning us up from the beginning. All right. Uh, And so if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they've kept my word, see, it's not all bad news. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. And so the vast majority of the world rejected Jesus. The vast majority of the religious world rejected Jesus. But there was a pocket. Possibly just even several hundred people that heard Jesus's words, whose lives were transformed, who fell in love with Jesus, who believed Jesus and whose eternal lives were changed because they heard the word of Jesus. And the same will be true of the apostles who finish writing out scripture, who finish writing the words of Christ. And the same will be true of us as we hold out the finished word of Christ to the world. There will be people who hate you for it. There will be people who hate you because you say what it says. You say what God says. But there will be people who go from death to life because you, says what it, you say what it says. There will be people who go from the eternal slavery of darkness and separation from God forever to eternal life with Jesus because you open that book and share it. That's the power the book has. And don't let the poll of the majority dare determine how, how this book should read. 
Because you're after that few that would hear and come alive. You're not after winning an opinion poll. You're after winning the souls of those who God calls to himself. All right, next part. Next step. Loyalty to Jesus will invite hatred and opposition for the world. Second, rejection of Jesus becomes the defining sin of a world that doesn't know God. Rejection of Jesus becomes the defining sin of a world that doesn't know God. If you were kind of dropped in from outer space and you were to research, like, what are Christians about and what do Christians focus on? And if you were to read Christians like, you know, certain levels of Christianity or or the news stories about Christians, or you were to read kind of some of the social media of Christians, hopefully not y'all, but some, what you would find out. At least the narrative, I don't think it's true, by the way. I think the average Christian just wants to to do good in their normal, ordinary life. But the narrative about you would be all you care about is people's sexuality, gender confusion, and their pro-choice stance. And we would say that they would look at Christianity and say, well, oh, the defining sin, according to this group of people, is where people are sexually, where people are gender and where people are on issues of life and and, and issues of of choice. I share this with our college students at least once a semester in Sunday school just because it comes up. If people's sexuality goes from crooked to straight, I'm remembering we have kids in the room, so I'm trying to be gentle about this. If it were going from crooked to straight. That person would still be headed for an eternity apart from God because they don't know Jesus Christ. And if somebody's gender would be unconfused to what it is by design and what it is by biology. They would still be headed to an eternity apart from God in a place we know of hell. And if people, if if the pro-life movement was able to win the hearts and minds of the entire world and the pro-choice movement was completely banished away. And that would be an amazing thing. And I would rejoice in it. But it would still leave that 45, 48 percent of humanity in eternal darkness, separated from the life that is in God. And so the defining sin of humanity isn't any of those things. Now, those are safer for us because maybe that's not my sin. Those are safer for us because that's not the one that hits close to home. All of humanity lies under the blanket of sin and lostness. And the defining sin of humanity is their rejection of or their unbelief in Jesus Christ. And that's what that's what I believe Jesus is saying here in this next section. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. Well, clearly, that doesn't mean if I hadn't come, they would be sinlessly perfect. Like you've got an entire Old Testament of rebellion against God and consequences for rebellion against God and being exiled from the land and facing all kinds of terrible, whether it be diseases or famine or or, or getting kicked out of the land or whatever it is. There's all kinds of like rebellion Conquered consequences, crying out to God, restoration, like there's a whole Old Testament to tell you this is not talking about that. So what is it talking about? It is Jesus saying, when I came into the world and I spoke, so my presence and my words, when I did that, I exposed the defining sin of people's lives. I came to a bunch of religious people. I showed them the word become flesh. I showed them that no one has seen God at any time, but but the son or, or the only God who is in the bosom of the father. He's made him known. I've made God known. I've spoken about God. I am the very word of God. And I have exposed the evil and the hatred of God that is in their hearts. 
So the defining sin of mankind, according to Jesus, is that I came and they hated me in return. I spoke life and they rejected the life that I offered. And so when Jesus said, if I had come, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. What he's saying is, if I had not come and spoken to them, the mask over their sin and the defining sin of rejection of Jesus, which is a rejection of God himself, would never have been uncovered. And, and Jesus speaks like this in a couple other passages of Scripture. So I want to I want to read those so you kind of get a gist of what he's talking about. Matthew 11, um, verse 20. They began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon for you than for you. And woe to you, Capernaum. Will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would remain to this day. But I tell you, it'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom than for you. What is he saying? My works are so much more amazing than anything that has ever been done in history. That if they had been done in cities, God burnt to the ground in judgment. Those cities would have never been burnt. They would have repented. And yet I have come and I've walked among you and I've done these works in front of you. Meaning the defining works that absolutely clearly declare. I've done those in you. And you didn't repent. So what's his point? There'll be a greater judgment on you who saw me and my works than those cities who didn't see it. Another passage, Luke 11. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment against the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. What he's saying, like this lady traveled the world to see this man named Solomon. Just to hear his wisdom. And yet Jesus, the very wisdom of God, in whom are all the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge of God, shows up on the scene. And you won't listen to him. That generation, that queen, that pagan queen is going to rise up in the day of judgment to condemn you because I was here and I spoke. And so that's what I think he means by I came and I spoke to them. If I hadn't have come, they wouldn't be guilty. But since I came, they have no excuse. They have no pretense. They have no justification for their sin because I was there. I was I was here. I said what I said. I showed them what I showed them, which is the next part. If I had not done among them the works that I'd done, they would not be guilty. The fact that Jesus walked among them as God in human flesh and did among them the works of God in the world beyond the measure of any other experience of humans in history. And they still rejected. They still did not believe. That'll be their judgment. I'm not Jesus, but there's a word here that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. There is a spirit, the spirit of God. There is a church. There is a gospel, which Jesus says is better than if they saw somebody raised from the dead. And he says his word is better than that. And the defining moment of your life and the defining sin of your life will be what you do with Jesus if you walk away. If you remain in sign of this religious malaise. If you reject it outright, if you do not believe. That'll be the defining sin of your life. And the defining transforming moment of your life will be as if you encounter Jesus. 
and you see your sin and you see the only remedy for your sin in Jesus Christ and you turn and repent, if you turn away from your sin and your self-rule and you put your faith in Jesus alone to save you, the defining, transforming moment of your life will have happened. But make no mistake, there's a word and there's a gospel and there's a church. And if there weren't, you may not be guilty or exposed as guilty, but there is. And you're sitting here and hearing it, maybe for the multiple times. And so there will be no excuse. To get here or to within five minutes drive of here, there are 30 places that would declare a gospel to you, this gospel to you. You're without excuse. What will you do with Jesus? Will you turn and will you believe or will you cover yourself with religious robes and think that's enough? Will you sit in campus ministries and spout Bible facts and think that's enough? Or will you be convicted to your core and turn from your sin and put your treasuring, loving faith in Jesus alone? Because he'll save you. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But don't think that anything less than that will do. He came and he exposed the defining sin of their life was a hatred of God and a rejection of Jesus. The last step will hit quickly. Witness and the power of the spirit continues the rescue mission and the collision with the world. Witness and the spirit, the power of the spirit continues the rescue mission and collision with the world. For time's sake, I can't go into it. There is a million reasons I love Fletcher. I hope you do, too. I hope you could make a pretty long list. I love how we show up. I love how we serve. I love how we're there when people need us. I love that relationships are growing and forming. I love that our classes are doing more and more things that bond lives together. I love that there's more community. I love that I think Jesus is being more and more prized. And I don't ask this question to make you feel guilty or to make me feel guilty. But the one area that probably grieves me in my own life and, and us as a group more than any other Where's our witness? Where is our witness to a lost and dying world? Right? Because that's what this passage closes out with. The world that hates you is the world that you need to go love and show and declare Jesus to. In the power of the Spirit. Where is our witness? Where's your witness? Where's my witness? So as he closes out the section, it may seem a little out of place, but it's not right. So it's been the world's going to hate you. And then in chapter 16, it's going to be like the world's going to throw you in prison and bring you up before all these courts. And then right in the middle, like here's the Holy Spirit. Bear witness. It's not out of place at all, though. We go from the response of the world to Jesus and to us hatred into how will you handle it when you're standing in front of a people that hate you and have called you to account. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will bear witness of Jesus in your life to a lost and dying world that hates you. And the Holy Spirit will remind you of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will make you more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit will give you words to speak when you are brought before people that demand an account of Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit fits perfectly in between these accounts of persecution. Because in the middle of it, how will you love? Because the Holy Spirit has driven you into the love of Jesus. In the middle of it, how will you open your mouth when you're terrified? Because the Holy Spirit will give you a word from God, from this word that, that these people need to hear. That some of them may even believe if it costs you your life. Some of them may even believe if the rest of them mock you and laugh at you. And so when the Holy Spirit 
comes, the helper, the one who comes alongside to encourage, comes alongside to strengthen, who comes from the son and comes from the father. What will he do? He'll bear witness and you'll bear witness. All four gospels have a version of the great commission. What was Jesus worried about once he not worried about? What was Jesus's primary desire for his church once he left? Go and make disciples. Preach the gospel to every creature in all of creation as I've sent, as I've been sent by the Father, so you have been sent. That was what was on the heart of Jesus in the closing days of his time with his disciples after the resurrection. What's going to happen when you get the Holy Spirit in Acts? You're going to jump around a little bit? No. Do you know what you're going to happen when you get the Holy Spirit? You are going to be my witnesses with power to the ends of the earth. That's what's going to happen when you get the spirit. So if the spirit of God is not bearing witness through you, it's not the spirit that's moving you. If the spirit is moving you, he's moving you to say, here's Jesus and he's precious. Here's his gospel and you have to know about it. Here's his gospel, neighbor. Here's his gospel as he sends you all over the world. That's what the Holy Spirit's about. He loves his job of making much of Jesus. He loves his job of making much of Jesus in your life as he brings to mind what Jesus has said. He loves his job of making much of Jesus and bringing lost people and calling them out of darkness and life. He loves doing that. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll give you power to be my witnesses. When Jesus is leaving the earth, be my witnesses. Where's our witness? Where's my witness? Could it be that the world doesn't dislike me very much because my love for the world never disappeared. Could it be that the world doesn't dislike me very much at all because the king that they hate, they don't see much of him in my life or they don't hear much about him from my lips. So does the world, does the world dislike you? Does it dislike me? Not because we're obnoxious. I know I can be sometimes. But because the aroma of Christ is the stench of death to those who are perishing. Oh, but it's a beautiful fragrance to those who come alive. A few practical things as we close out here. Be gracious even in the face of hate. Be gracious even in the face of hate. It will require you to deeply experience the love of Jesus that is beyond understanding. For you to absorb laughter or ridicule or mocking or hatred or beating or death. To absorb that and not hate in return, but show off a Jesus displaying love in return. Be gracious even the face of hate. Jesus will provoke the darkness in the people around you. And it may not be that you ever said anything about it. You're just simply being transformed into the image of glory day by day. Speaks and presses against the darkness of people's lives around you. And so we stop being transformed or we allow it to press. And there will be times that you must open your mouth to speak because what is being done is not right. It is evil and is wicked. And you must open your mouth to speak when it's popular. And you must open your mouth to speak when it's not popular. And you know that. It will invite hatred from people that hate the king. That hate your dad. But you can absorb that hatred and give a graciousness in return because you've been loved that greatly. The second, be transformed enough that it invites some opposition. Be transformed enough that it invites some opposition. Like, don't just stop trying so hard to be loved by the world and be relevant to a world that's not supposed to like you. 
Because worldliness will never win the world to Christ. Worldliness will never win the world to Christ. You being more like them will never, ever confront the darkness in them and invite them to the light of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying be some weird Christian subculture. I'm saying, like, just be Jesus, like be conformed to the image of Jesus. And the more you're like Jesus, the more you walk into the world. And more she's going to provoke. And so stop trying to be loved by the world. It doesn't mean try to poke the world in the eye, but like, just be with Jesus enough that it pokes the world because you are identified with the name of Jesus. And if it means they love you, great, because you do the goodness of Jesus in their lives and they flourish more because of you. And if they hate you like they hate the Salvation Army for doing all that good in Jesus' name, then let them hate you. Just make sure the hatred's well-placed. And then the last one, believe in Jesus and bear witness to, the, to Jesus. Can't give away what you don't have. You can't, you can't export religion into people's hearts and think it'll change them. You have to be converted. But if you are, then the Holy Spirit is in you with power to declare the goodness and the richness and the wonders of who Jesus is. And he's with you with power to sit down around the table with people and love them and bless them and serve them and show what it's like to be part of his family. And the Holy Spirit is with you to give boldness and right words for the moment to speak about Jesus. Believe. Be a witness. Believe. Be a witness. Be a really good bunch of traitors. Because you are. You're a traitor, but man, go live like it. Go live as a rebel to a world in darkness because that rebellion may offer the only light, the only hope, or will offer the only light and the only hope that they ever have. Jesus' love will prepare you for the response of the world and will prepare you to go be a witness to the world. Let's pray. Father, help us be free from the fear of man. They were able to go and love men and love women and love boys and, and, and girls with a love that looks like Jesus and sounds like Jesus and brings life like Jesus and makes families flourish the way Jesus can make families flourish and makes workplaces flourish the way Jesus can make them flourish. God, grant us to do the most good in the name of Jesus and speak the most boldly in the name of Jesus Whatever it brings. Whatever it brings. God, we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we come to our time of invitation, have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ alone to save you? Your religion will never do it. Come and let's pray together or there's a little white sheet in your bulletin and you're like, I need to talk to somebody about that. Fill it out and let us know. Give it to one of the guys as you're, as you're heading out. All right. But maybe you look, as you look at your life, you're like, ah, oh, there's, there's probably some things that are off-putting. There's probably areas where I just don't show Jesus off very well. Some areas I've left identification with Jesus because it just didn't fit with the people around me. And Jesus is calling you back. He's welcoming you out of that back to himself. Come. Or maybe for you. Lost is in a sea of humanity out there. Lost has faces attached to it. Faces that you love. Faces that your heart is broken over. And you want to come and pray for those. 
Or maybe loss doesn't have a face and loss doesn't have a burden in your life. And that's a reason to pray. It should break your heart that your heart isn't broken for anybody outside of Christ. It should break your heart that there's no burden for the lost, dying humanity around you to not know, to know Jesus. And so if there's faces that attach to lostness, pray for them. If there's no concern for lostness, pray for that. Let's stand. You respond where you are up here, however the Lord is leading you. Let's stand and sing.